Hey, York Alliance. Welcome back to the York Alliance Daily for Wednesday, December 20th. Hope you're doing well today. It feels like I literally just recorded a podcast because I was so late yesterday and uh, early today. So I uh, hope you're doing well as uh, your schedule is probably a lot like mine in this week before Christmas with lots of uh, things pulling you lots of different directions. And so um, thanks for taking the time to listen and uh, to engage The beauty of the Christmas story and who Jesus is and who Jesus was prophesied to be in the midst of all the craziness, it's it's so important for us to just step back and recognize the beauty of uh, this incredible story that we tell every year as part of the church calendar, as part of the rhythm of our lives. We we, want to declare over and over again that we have hope because Jesus has broken into history. We have hope because the God of the universe has chosen to become one of us. We have hope because uh, God has chosen to redeem people, not just leave us in slavery to sin or leave us in the midst of our brokenness, uh, but to bring us back to the original purpose that he's made us for, that we would be uh, co-creators with him and representative rule uh, of all that he's created, moving things from chaos to order. Um, That's the heart of what he's invited us into. And uh, it's so good for us to remember that in the midst of everything else, all the good things that we want to celebrate, we should celebrate uh, in the midst of uh, the fun of the holiday season, uh, the joy uh, and connections of the holiday season. Uh, It's important for us to remember also the why behind all of it. And so uh, thanks for being a part of that as we uh, journey together towards Jesus. Today I want to talk about a difficult subject, which is uh, the reality for so many of us who uh, try to consider the idea of God as uh, our everlasting Father. That whole concept of the fatherhood of God, which is certainly not limited to Isaiah's declaration in, in verse chapter 9, verse 6, where he says that Jesus would be everlasting Father. By the way, that's a false distinction that people make between the Father and the Son as though uh, that Jesus can't be the everlasting Father because the Father, God the, God the Father, is the Father. Um, obviously, there's a, there's a unity there. We're actually going to take the first three weeks of uh, January to do a series, kind of a mini-series, on the Trinity and the implications of the Trinity. Um, and uh, that for, you know, there's, we're, that's fraught with lots of, uh, lo- lots of challenges and potholes because obviously the Trinity is beyond our ability in, as humans to fully understand. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about one of the things that we'll talk about is the perfect unity of the Trinity and the perfect love that is expressed between the persons of the Trinity and how the Father and the Son are acting in complete and utter unity at all times. And so when Jesus comes, he is coming absolutely as uh, what uh, Paul in Colossians 1 calls the perfect perfect representation of the Father, uh, that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. And so Jesus as the perfect Father is contrasted, and God the Father throughout the biblical narrative is contrasted with the idea of uh are broken fathers. The fact that many of us have uh, broken and difficult relationships with our fathers. And um, we see that actually all the way back. Um, Brokenness in uh, human relationships start in Genesis chapter 3. And uh, you don't even, you have to go back even further than the curse. Um, the, The whole 
um, the whole narrative of Eve eating the fruit, Adam eating the fruit, and the immediate result of that is uh, that that shame is the first thing that enters into the broken world. So when Adam and Eve eat the fruit, they don't immediately come clean. They uh, first hide from God because they're ashamed, and then they blame one another because they're ashamed. And shame becomes the general driving reality of sin for uh, all of our lives. On one side, you can call that pride, um, and there's uh, cases to be made that pride is original sin, is the core of sin, and um, you can certainly make the argument that pride is what led to the fall. There's a fascinating argument um, made in uh, Donald Fairbairn's book, Life in uh, Life of the Trinity, I think it's called, um, Life in the Trinity, something like that, um, where he talks about that idea of assent to as being the the primary thing that um, that broke Adam and Eve, that there was this idea that they would become like God, which is completely impossible. The a, cre- a created being cannot become an uncreated being. It's a logical uh, it's it's a logical gap, right? You can't you can't do that. And yet, it was that invitation of the the talking snake in the garden uh, that uh, that ultimately, by the Book of Revelation, is associated with Satan. That um, that that the the invitation is you will be like God. Well, that's not that's not even a reasonable expectation or promise, and yet that is the thing that somehow causes the fall to happen. So pride is the beginning, but the the dark side of pride is shame. So once that pride uh, causes sin, shame becomes a result of it. I'm going to hide from God. I'm going to hide from one another. I'm going to blame others. I say that to say that's at the core, even if you don't go further into the curse of uh, men and women and specifically the curse of uh, men that is around the idea of work and uh, the the difficulty that work will be, the toil that labor um, and the joy of vocation uh, will become because of the fall. But e- even before that, shame becomes the driving factor uh, by which men and women, and in this instance, I want to see zero in on men, interact. And so what, what you have is over generations, you have this, uh, and, and by generations, I mean like literally since Adam and Eve recorded history, um, what, what you have are men who to one degree or the other are acting out of shame in the way that they're, uh, they're parenting. And so we, we are, uh, all of us as fathers, imperfect fathers, because to one degree or another, we're acting out of shame. We're either acting out of shame because we are unwilling to engage our kids at an emotional level that um, we know they need to, or uh, we're uh, inconsistent. And so because we're inconsistent, we back away because we we recognize our own hypocrisy. And so we back away from the uh, responsibility that we should have. We often don't step into the spiritual leadership because we recognize how deeply imperfectly we do it. And so again, we back away from it rather than owning up to that reality, which is of course a reality for all of us. We back away from it. 
Um, and, and that can uh, and that can go on the other side. We become uh, best buddies with our kids and uh, fail to live into the uh, authority ro- role, the uh, the place that we're given that literally is to reflect the uh, the the goodness and the love of God, who uh, does not come as our buddy, but comes as uh, the one who is over us and uh, loves us enough to uh, to redeem us. And so at a very, um, at a very almost kind of vanilla level, failure is the normative way that fathers interact. And then, of course, it goes way darker than that. Um, when, uh, when things like abuse and neglect happen, uh, when, uh, there are terrible things that are said to kids, uh, when, uh, when there is a, a repeating of generational sin patterns as it relates to everything from anger to sexuality to abuse of uh, a variety of, uh, of different things, alcohol or drugs or whatever it is, um, the, the failure to be able to provide and so therefore kind of a, an abandonment. There are really dark and difficult things that come into the, uh, the realm of fatherhood. All of that to say, whether you had a dad that just backed away and shirked responsibility to some degree, uh, all the way to a dad who was abusive, uh, angry, or absent, um, in all of those instances, there's an imperfect father. And the challenge that we have is reconciling that back to the perfection of God. Because for many of us, we see, our, uh, we see God the Father through the lens of our father's. And it becomes really, really difficult to see God as he is. And so what we're called to do as best we can through meditation and prayer and study of the word is to seek to see God as he is, to recognize that he's the perfect father, to understand how he's interacted with us. And so the way that we do it is not just to will God as the perfect father, but it is to, to study, to, to read and engage, to meditate on and consider the things that God the Father does, I gave you five of them on Sunday, well, really 10 because it was, uh, you know, the, the positive and the negative side of, of each one. Um, but there are so many more. And what we're called to do is press into that to understand who God is so that we would counteract, not, not hold our earthly fathers to a higher standard or a different standard, but to recognize our earthly fathers are always going to be broken. And they're never going to do all that we desire God the Father to do. That doesn't mean that fatherhood's a bad construct. In fact, that's why the Bible pushes into God as the Father as this meta-narrative throughout Scripture. Because we need a, a perfect Father. We need an eternal, everlasting Father. And Jesus has come that we would have one. And so I want to encourage you to meditate on that, process that over the next couple of days as we move towards the birth of Jesus, uh, our commemoration of the birth of Jesus, and all of the celebrations. Uh, take time in the quiet to remember who he is and what he's done. May the grace and peace of Jesus be yours. May you sense his spirit in you, transforming you from the inside out, and especially flowing from you at this, uh, at this moment when uh, the world needs to hear. May we be the, uh, the voice box. Uh, that speaks the grace and truth of Jesus. Have a great rest of the day. I will be back with you one more time tomorrow. Grace and peace to you.